0: true, because of who He is.
1: Yes. Amen. So we describe to Him all of the honor and all of the glory. Yes, sir. all of it. Because He reigns. Yes, we can. Because He reigns, we win. Yes. Sir. <laughs> yes. Sir. Amen. Yes, sir. We reign with Him in victory, triumphantly. Yes. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Thank God for the choir. I really appreciate such Christ-centered singing. Let us uh, stand for our responsive reading. It is, by the way, on page six of your programs, responsive reading, page six of uh, your programs. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get it from him some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so, with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He has killed one Finally, he sent to be saved. Those tenants say to one another this is the heir let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours and they took him and he killed him and what will the owner of the vineyard do he will come destroy the tents and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the field rejected has
0: become the
1: cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing yes, yes. and it is marvelous in our eyes. Together. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and they went away. That's the Word of God. Thank you, God. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have given us such a treasure. We And given us your Word. Thank you, Lord. We give you thanks, we give you praise for the great and glorious of all sufficient, authoritative, altogether lovely Word of God. Yes. And Heavenly Father, when I think about its sufficiency, when I think about the fact that it is not even capable of any error and it is without error and it is your Word, when I think about that, Lord, I tremble because I have to handle it, I have to rightly divide it. Lord, I'm running. I'm camping out at the throne of grace because I need grace to rightly divide your word of truth. You have taught me my studies privately. I pray, Heavenly Father, right now that you would preach me beyond my preparation. Hear me, Holy Spirit, that your word dwell in me richly and wisdom in me understanding as I preach to your people. I pray, Heavenly Father, for grace to bear fruit, for I do not want to preach truth and deny it in my actions. You know in my flesh dwells everything. I pray for your people. I couldn't see it until to you, illumine my mind to see it. So I pray that in their hearts right now, I pray that they're seeking to see, wanting to see, wanting to know Christ, wanting to learn Christ. And you have never left anyone dissatisfied that had that desire in their hearts. Feel them. And let your word dwell in them richly. I pray for anyone here that is not yet saved. Lord have mercy. I sat where they sat. Save Heavenly Father. Saving this house. Church members and non-church members, we want relationships. We want people brought out of darkness. We want eyes to be open. We want grades to be left behind. Save, I pray, the creation of your word. Wow. Again, I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wish I could tell you how bad I wanted to preach all of this. But you don't have time for that. Today, if the Lord wills, I will preach verses 1 through 8. And the subject for this text, this section actually, is simply this. The Rejected Son. The Rejected Son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'd like to to set the context for you so that you're able to bridge into the verse with me, okay? There's been some controversy going on, right? It started in chapter 11, verse 27, with the question of authority, and it's a series of six controversy stories that run from chapter 11, verse 27, to chapter 12, verse 44. This is the second in a series of six controversy stories They take place in the temple during Jesus' last days in Jerusalem. Jesus, this is Passion Week, Jesus will die on Friday. Chapter 11 started with his royal approach to Jerusalem. His challenge to to, to his authority by the religious leaders in verse 27 through 33 that prepares actually for this parable. The parable here, the owner of the vineyard, the messengers, and the sun. The judgment against the religious leaders was symbolized for us by the temple being cleared. In 11, chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. And by the cursing of the withered fig tree, pointing to judgment. We saw that cursing in chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, verses 20 and 21. This parable shows clearly their rejection and clearly their judgment. They've been plotting against Jesus. Remember they, they they were plotting in chapter 11, verse 18 after Jesus cleared out the temple. Chapter 12, verse 8 shows that they're preparing for further plotting. Jesus is actually prophesying what they'll do. Mm -hmm. They ask about his authority. You remember in chapter 11? They ask about his authority in the previous section. Jesus refused to answer. However, this parable lays out where his authority comes from. Back in chapter 4 we see Jesus' teaching on parables came after rejection by the religious leaders in chapter 3, remember they accused accused Jesus of casting out a demon by Satan's power then Jesus pronounced judgment against them by speaking in parables and he said these, these words so that they may look and look, but not perceive, and hear, and hear, but not understanding. We saw that in Mark 4, verse 12, and he was citing Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. I just want you to see how the Scripture... It's just the best commentary on Scripture. No contradictions, no such thing as a contradiction in Scripture. The parables in in chapter 4 reveal the kingdom's mystery to the disciples, but they concealed the mysteries from the religious leaders who rejected him. Clearly, we see that in chapter 4, 11 and 12. But notice here, at the climax of Jesus' ministry, on his way to Calvary, he tells a parable that's clear to the religious leaders. They got it. God opened their eyes, though briefly, (laughs) to recognize themselves in the parable. And they recognized themselves in the parable. And by recognizing themselves, watch this, by God opening their eyes to see that Jesus is speaking about them, it actually provoked what Jesus said they would do in the parable. I have to pause and say, I don't, God just blows me away.
0: <laughs> he wants his son on the cross by Friday.
1: <laughs> he wants his son on the cross on Friday, doesn't he? And Jesus is intentionally challenging, provoking the religious leaders to that action. So they will actually bring the parable to fulfillment on Friday through the actions. And they're angry, and their anger is out of control. They want Jesus dead. And Jesus says in the parable, by way of the parable, you will. Grab the son, and yes, kill it. Amen. This is a this is an allegorical parable of the tenants. And it draws actually, I will show you in a moment from Isaiah's song of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 1 through 7. But it it, it portrays Israel's religious leaders as wicked. Tenant farmers over God's vineyard who refused to give the owner his due and eventually killed his son. And judgment against them follows, and the son who was rejected becomes the cornerstone in the new temple that God Himself declares would build. And we're in the new temple. Isn't that good news? you have to see that on another table. I I want you to, I want to break down this this parable. Parables um, are really expressing a a main point. I want to make sure you, you get it, try to get you there, okay? Although I cannot finish it today. I want you to see number one, in verse one, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a, a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants. And leased it to tenants. And went into another country. Just stop right there. First of all, we see this goodness is true of Israel historically. Amen. It's true of Israel historically. Follow me. Notice first the social background to the parable. The order in the the original language actually places the emphasis on the vineyard planted at great expense. That's a lot that's going on in verse 1, isn't it? A vineyard was a very profitable agricultural project in Jesus' day. It was a major long-term investment from which no return could actually be expected for at least four years from the subsequent description and happens it is clear that it was an investment not a project in which the man planned to take uh, 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 a personal part it was not a project in which the man planned to take a personal part because he left right yeah. Bridge. Bridge. Vineyards were an important feature of first century Palestinian life so Jesus is speaking of a process that would have been well known to the audience that he's talking to. Not to you, but to the audience that he was talking to. But we've got to get what he's saying to them in order to understand what he actually means and the application for us. This was a new vineyard set up on new land. Being new, it it, it involves some uncertainty as to how well it would just work out. But if you notice, the owner had done all he should have done to ensure a good vineyard. Yes. Right. He had done it. He had done everything. All right. Now this is a side note. When you're interpreting parables, don't try to apply every line. That's right. <laughs> okay, you mess it up. Right. The practice of leasing a vineyard was very common in Galilee. It had large land, land estates and Absentee, absentee, Landowners would be very familiar as well to the audience that Jesus is talking to. So that's the social background. I want you to notice the biblical background for the parable. Biblical background. We've got to set it up, all right? We've got to set it up. Listen to me. The biblical background. The biblical background that Jesus is actually referring to is taken from Isaiah. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me read it to you. Let me sing for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. See if anything sounds familiar. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Then he begins to interpret it. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove it, its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon. Sounds like judgment, doesn't it? That Isaiah passage is very powerful. Israel had been rejecting God and not been living according to God's word. They had been living unrighteously. God says, "You are my vineyard. I delighted in you. I called you into being as a nation. I cultivated you like a person cultivates a beloved." then you produce no fruit, and the fruit you produce has been evil. It's been bloodshed. It's been injustice. So what am I going to do? I'm going to remove your protection. That's 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 the context of Isaiah. And in the historical context of Isaiah, this means that God is going to allow the Assyrian Empire, the enemies of Israel, to come in, and conquer the northern kingdom of Israel and to harass the southern kingdom of Israel. So actually in Isaiah what you have is a judgment of oracle of what happened to Israel in the Old Testament. Well, what does that have to do with this parable? Here's what Jesus is doing. He takes Isaiah's song, okay, in Isaiah 5. He modifies it to portray Israel's leaders as wicked tenant farmers over the vineyard who, who refuses to give God his share of the produce, first rejecting and abusing his messengers, the prophet, and then his son, Jesus. He takes it and applies it to them. Jesus is so good at that, isn't he? So i interpret this as that Jesus is, God is rejecting Israel and the church is replacing Israel. Uh, replacing the replacement theology I just can't, cannot, cannot embrace. Um, when I read Romans 11, I haven't found anybody that believes that theology, they don't know what to do with Romans 11. <laughs> so, um, I, I still see a future. However, he applies it to the tenant farmers, to the leaders. He did a lot, didn't he? He, he built it, put a fence around it, right? That's a wall of stones, a, a hedge to keep the wild animals out. Uh, there's a tower here. It was used by the watchman to warn of the intruders and also give shelter to the workers. There's a wine press here. The wine press would have two, two vats. that would have an upper, upper one in which the grapes were placed and trampled by foot, and a lower one for collecting the juice. Everything's in place Amen. The word lease means to let out for hire. Speaks of granting use or, or occupation of something for remuneration. So he, 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 he makes them stewards over it, right? The full management of the vineyard was entrusted to the tenants who paid the owner an agreed portion of the crop. It's a well-equipped vineyard. The owner has done everything necessary. Parable actually builds on the example in first century real life of absentee landlords, as I mentioned before, who gained profit from the produce of their rented out lands. So, what's the point of verse 1? God has been good to Israel historically. Amen. It's been good goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good. Yes, sir.
0: And all that God
1: does is good and worthy of approval, whether you approve or not, it's still good. So Jesus is highlighting the privileges of Israel and the provision that God has made for them. Israel was well protected, richly provisioned people. God had tenderly raised up his vine called Israel and a land called Egypt. You remember that? Yes. started actually with the call of uh, Abraham out of the earth of Chaldeas. Then, then he had taken that vine and transported it across the burning sands of the Sinai Desert and he planted it in Canaan, didn't he? Yes. There the vine took root began to flourish. And this is the imagery in the Old Testament. Uh, For example, Asaph, speaking of God's deliverance of of his people out of Egypt, Asaph praised God for Israel's experience in Psalm 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. But he didn't stop at verse 8. In verse 14 and 15, he said, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you have made strong for yourself. The imagery is all over the Old Testament. It's in Jeremiah 2.21 as well, he planted Israel like a choice vine. Paul picks it up as well. In terms of the privileges of Israel, listen to Paul in in Romans 9, 4, and 5. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. According to Romans 3, 2, Israel alone was entrusted with the oracles of God. God had been good to them. Yes. Historically, God had been good to them. If you want to look at, think about it negatively. Think about the Bible's description of Gentiles like us. In Ephesians 2.12, you can see how good God was to Israel when you see the negative description of us as Gentiles. Remember that you were. As you me, all of us Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But that wasn't true of Israel. They were with God, they had hope. They were participants in the covenants of promise, citizens of the commonwealth. The psalmist said this in Psalm 147 20, speaking of God, said He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Then he says, Praise the Lord. God had been good to Israel. Yes, sir. Yes, huh? yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what we see in verse one. The goodness of God. And it's true, historically, in regards to Israel, but I need to apply it. It's true of you and me personally. I'm speaking to the saved right now. Do you realize the privileges and provisions Mm -hmm. God has given us? He opened our eyes to the gospel. He gave us faith. Ephesians 289. He united us to Christ. John 15, 1 through 15. The Spirit did that. He saved us, didn't he? He justified us. He adopted us. And he shall glorify us. Romans 8, 29 through 32. There's no question today that every saved person in this room, room would have to confess God's been good. God's been good. We're not Israel, but there was a day when he came to us in our Egypt, dug us up by the roots, transplanted us into another country. God has been good to us. Add to that the blessings he's given us. Add to that all the prayers he's answered. Add to that the fact that he's ever with us. Add to that the fact that he loves us eternally. Add to that the fact that he meets all of our needs. Add. For us right now in heaven. Add to that the fact that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us within us. Add to that that He's coming back to get us and we will be perfected in holiness. Add to that the air you breathe, the car you drive. Add to that. God's name. Add to that. You get a chance to hear the word of God every Sunday, every Wednesday. The word of God, whether it's myself. God, you get a chance to hear the same gospel through both of us, add to that. Yes sir, thank you God, yes Lord. I've got a challenging question, what have you done with it? Come on now, he's built the tower, he's dug out the wine press, he's done all that is necessary. us. Yes, It's true of Israel. Historically, it's true of you and I personally. God's been good. Yes, Secondly, not only do we see the goodness of God, we see the patience of God. We see the patience of God. God blows me away. Praise you, Lord. Here's one of the attribute, attributes of God. Speaking of his character, okay? That sometimes in my prayer times, my prayer time with him and communion with him brings me to tears. Yes. Because I'm confessing sin it doesn't make sense. Yes. That- <laughs> right. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and, and him they killed. And so, with our, so, and so with many others, so they beat. And, excuse me, And so with many others, slow down. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. Three truths about God's patience. Number one, God patiently holds stewards accountable. It was important in ancient Palestine for owners to establish their ownership of land. So, the owner at the proper season, the time of the vintage, he sent to claim the rent. When the owner in the parable leased it out to the tenants, they knew they were responsible to pay him a fixed portion of the proceeds. So, when the owner came to receive the produce from the vineyard and, and thereby establish his rights as owners, the tenants resisted his servants. Don't miss this. Their refusal was an attempt to deny the owner's claim to ownership, they wanted to keep the vineyard for themselves. The, the, so, so they refused to pay the lease that, that that would have established the owner's possession of the land. That the, they were hoping because you know he's in a distance, he would he he would consider dealing with the tenants too much trouble and just surrender uh, his claim of the land. But he wasn't like that. A day of accountability came. Every person was expected to make their contribution for the wonderful privilege of living in the beautiful vineyard, being blessed by it. Fruit was expected. Every person responsible for the vineyard was expected to labor and produce. The only came, and fruit was expected. Why was fruit expected? Because of verse 1. It ought to have been good. He had done everything necessary. Amen. Now, notice here: fruitfulness is linked to spiritual stewardship. Amen. And just for the record, I'm not simply speaking of stewardship over money. Stewardship over all that God has given. Stewardship over your life. Fruitfulness is linked to spiritual stewardship. The religious leaders they are speaking to are guardians of the vineyard, Israel, and so carry a responsibility for Israel's well-being. Okay? This has a lot of application for the church today. God demands. means qualitative fruit. Qualitative fruit. What is qualitative fruit? You know, the fruit of righteousness, holiness, and love. Ephesians 5, 9 through 11, Galatians 5, uh, uh, verses 20, 21, 22. Mm -hmm. It also means quantitative fruit. What is that? Uh, We should be having a transforming impact Mm -hmm. on all around us. The church is to be salt. The church is to be light. Right? Yes. The church is to be sought and life and lives are to be transformed through the gospel centered lives that we live and the gospel-centered message that we preach and through that God adds to the church. God is looking for fruit. Yes. From every individual that confessed Jesus as Lord. Well. Yes. to these ends that we pray, we give, we worship, we maintain close fellowship. We, we preserve our heritage of, of gospel preaching in this church. Yes, sir. <sighs> Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness, yes, sir. And it doesn't happen automatically. Yes, right? It doesn't happen, happen automatically. It happens when those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life put our hands to the plow. Yes, yes, yes. You're not just automatically faithful right? He came. God patiently holds stewards accountable. God patiently sent his prophets. That's who these servants are in the text. Remember, the tenants are the rich, the wicked, rich uh, religious leaders. And remember, the owner is God, okay? And by the way, the son is Jesus. You got that? Yes. And, oh, and by the way, the vineyard is Israel, and the tenants were supposed—the suppose, t- the tenants who had stewardship over Israel—they were supposed to be doing something different than what they were doing, and there was no fruit. But God patiently sent His prophets. We see—we saw that in verses three through five. He sent three servants. The only did. It's really slaves in the original language. They treated them violently. Notice what happened. The first servant they beat and sent away empty-handed. That word beat doesn't mean to just spray them. It means to beat severely. He's dismissed. No fruit in his hands. The second servant was seriously wounded and shamefully treated, very much dishonored. Struck on the head handled shamefully, dishonored and insulted. The third servant, they killed him. They killed him. And Mark says, I don't have time to tell y'all of them. But there were many others that he sent. Some they beat, some they killed. There were many others that he sent. Some they beat, some they killed. There were many others they sent. And the response was the same. Some they beat, some they killed. Why are you telling us this, Jesus? Because Jesus says, I want you to see the amazing patience of the owner in view of the mistreatment of his servants. It's highly unusual to keep singing servants. right? They beat them or they kill, him. kill them. They reject the owner. They reject his claim on the land. Not only do we see his patience, we see the enormity of the guilt of the tenants. Yes. Verse 1, he dug it out. He built a tower. He put a fence around it. He did everything necessary. He, there was an agreement. Mm-hmm. For Jesus, no ordinary individual would allow such a series of violent actions against his servants. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, you're exactly right. No ordinary individual no. would. But the owner is God. (laughs) The faithful servants represent the faithful prophets God sent. Hebrews eleven one reminds us that long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times in different ways. And this is what Hebrews 11.35-38 says about them. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scorchings, as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. they were sawed in two, they died by the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Jeremiah, remember, was beaten and put in slots, Jeremiah 20 verse 2. Tradition says that Isaiah was one of those guys that was sawed into, who was sawed into. Zechariah was stoned to death in the temple, 2 Chronicles 24, 21. In Nehemiah 9.26, Nehemiah says, But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They flung your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. And the last Old Testament prophet that was killed was John the Baptist, and they cut his head up. Wow. What Jesus was talking about in this parable, had actually yes, sir. The very priests and scribes and elders who were challenging the authority of Jesus in the temple, trying to destroy them, these men were responsible for the spiritual growth of God's people. Yes. They were supposed to be feeding the people, protecting the people, loving the people like a winemaker loves his vineyard. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be be, be, the instruments of God's glory. They they were taking fruit from from the kingdom and using it for their own selfish means. Much like some of these so-called prosperity preachers were not God's preachers at all. They're like these men here. They had their own selfish aims and ambitions in, in mind. They were using the vineyard, you know, the vineyard as men today use the church for their own selfish means. They wanted power and prestige for themselves. It happens today, beloved. It happens today, I'm telling you. We're trying to use the church to serve our purposes rather than the purpose for which God created it. We see some pragmatism going on in some other church. Oh, well, they're packed out every, every Sunday. Well, they're giving them $100 to the first ten members that get there. Oh, How ungodly and Man. wicked is that? The church is not a place to which you fulfill your personal goals. It's not a place where, you, where you're seeking power, prestige, or fulfillment for yourself. It's not a place where you can go and get your title and your, your office and your honor and your recognition. The church exists for God's glory have warriors in it? it exists for God's glory. And, and let's back up, RBC. Let's back up for a moment. God has been extremely patient with us. I didn't say with you. I said with us. He sent servant after servant. Why didn't He just destroy them? Because He's so patient. He's so long-suffering. He has every right to respond to sin with immediate judgment. He has every right to do that. God doesn't owe anybody. God is never in debt to anybody. He has every right judge right then, Thank you, Lord Jesus. he kept sing. Yes. Yes. "How long suffering is he?" Yes. I want you to listen to this, Isaiah sixty-five, verse two. This is God speaking. I spread out my hands all all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. God says, "My hands are spread out." Yes. He is trying to repent. Listen to 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach or come to repentance. That's what God is like today, right now, this very moment. If he wasn't, all of us would be concerned. If that was you, I would join me in pausing to thank God for His patience with me, for His long suffering with me, because my, I would not be, I, I would not continually be sanctified if I didn't have a patient Father. Uh, uh, glory to His name. Thank you. God keeps patiently. Draw us back to his word, Amen. patiently. Draw us back to his word, patiently. Draw us back to himself, patiently, <laughs> patiently, patiently. Long-suffering. you have someone just that just won't listen? Bless your name, bless your name. you. <laughs> you see the patience of God? By the way, remember, he does believe in accountability. Yes, Amen. We saw that with the, the fig tree. Oh, yes. God does not want to walk in his church and see nothing believes. Amen. Amen. You're accountable. We are accountable for yes, what sir. goes on in here. Yes, sir. We're accountable for what's going on in here while we're in here, and we call it worship. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. God keeps singing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon And I do not simply preach to you. When God sends a sermon, it's my sermon. Believe me, I get it in that office. I get it when I'm sitting at home studying. God is preaching to me. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, last time, God patiently sent his son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm trying to stay on the ground. My no clothes closing. I'm trying to stay on the ground right now. Oh my goodness. How could anyone reject the son? Yeah. <coughs> he still had one other. That's what the text says. A beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. Remember, this is a parable. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. What a climax. The owner said, I have one more that I want see. Mm-hmm. What farm? in his right mind would surrender his son to tenants that have already killed his servants. It's a question worth asking. You know why it's worth asking? Because all you can get out of that is the unrelenting love of God. law, a son possessed legal rights that a servant didn't have. Yes, sir. So the son is the heir, right? In sending the servants, the owner appealed to the integrity of the tenants. Do what's right. In sending the son, <laughs> uh, he appeals to the right of law. The son was the only person, other than himself, who possessed legal claim over the vineyard. Mm -hmm. That's why the owner says, they will respect my son. Because the son goes as the father's representative with the father's authority to the father's property to claim what the father owns that will respect yes, yes, yes. my son mm. oh what kind of compassion is that you know the word for sin I actually carries the sense of a divine commission <laughs> mm. oh, oh how the son is different from the servants isn't he yes, right. there are many but uh, he's unique he's one them, amen. Yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah they're hired out to go but he's an heir uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're forerunners. But he's the last and final word. Uh the owner's not saying anything else after the sun. <laughs> but watch this. The sun is beloved. Yes. You see that in the text? Yes. I come into a clothes wait, for eat eating anyway afterwards. Y'all see that in the text? Yes. The sun is what? Beloved. You see that? Ooh, that means one and only Son of the same nature, same essence. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like Mark 1.11 when the Father spoke out of heaven at the baptism of Christ and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's never said that about any of us. Because there's none like him. It sounds like the, uh, 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 what was heard at, at, at the transfiguration in chapter nine, verse seven. Ah, oh, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the language of Genesis 22 when God said to Abraham, "Take your son, your only son, whom you love." That's right. It sounds like John 3:16 to me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It sounds like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on His shoulder. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Father. Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. Oh my goodness. He sent a sign. He sent a sign when nobody was working. He couldn't wait on anybody to be worthy, because there's none righteous. No, not even one. Or, if you want to say it this way, none righteous. No, not even you. All right. All right. All right. All right. They saw the son in the parable. They said the same thing that Joseph's brother said. Yeah. Come, let's kill him we kill the heir, we take ownership of the property. He must be sending the son. The son must be coming because the owner's dead. So if we get rid of of the son, we can take ownership. Sounds like a covetous heart, doesn't it? It'll make you want what you shouldn't want. It'll it, 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 it make you think that your sinful des- desire should be fulfilled at all costs. That's what covetousness would do for you, right? It, it, it will cause you to exploit other people. Your desire, when you covet things, your desire becomes your God. Do you think, if you're singing under the sound of my weak voice, do you think that by erasing God from your life that you can take control of your eternal destiny? You've got to be kidding me. Yes. That's why sin is utter foolishness. Yes. Because it's rebellion against the holy God who's sovereign and in control. Uh, uh, you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't want Jesus in my life. And so I, I, I'm the master of my faith. I'm the captain of my soul. get real. Amen. Come on. of your faith, and deal with death. And tell me, let me know how it turns out. Do yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. master of your faith? They, 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 when you when you deal with death and wake up and see Jesus, let me know how that works out for you. If we could, we'd cure God. You know that. A- three, A- day, A- three days A- later, yeah. the religious leaders who do just what Jesus said. They want to throw the landlord's son out. And guess what Jesus get crucified? Outside the city walls. Mm-hmm. On a hill. On a hill. Yeah. Get out of here. Oh, oh, I feel you. like 80 did rising up in me. On a yeah. hill far away. Yes, he got crucified outside uh, 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 I, I, Side on a hill called God, God, that, that They would murder him. But when they, when God sent him, oh, doesn't it remind me of Christmas? You can celebrate Christmas all year, can't you? It reminds me of, uh, of God taking human nature to himself. So it reminds me of the incarnation. It reminds me that Christ is the gift of God. It reminds me of the amazing love of God. But but, but, but uh, good friend. Reminds me of Easter. When it killed the son, it reminds me of Easter, Easter the crucifixion, the grace of God, the amazing sacrifice that Christ made and, 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 and accomplished redemption for me. But I hear another reading in the text John 1 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Amen. I got to go in but I go in with a quote from one of my favorite preachers he's with the Lord right now Charles Spurgeon by the way I have a lot of favorite preachers okay? Spurgeon, was, Spurgeon was the preacher that played for lost souls Spurgeon said it like this he said if you reject him he answers you with tears. If you move him, he bleeds out cleansing. If you kill him, he dies to redeem. If you bury him, he rises to bring us resurrection. As said, Jesus is love manifest. But you know, that old boy kept on talking. And uh I decided to share it with you because it blessed my soul. He said, let us see for a minute who this messenger is. Talking about Jesus. He's one greatly beloved of his father. And and in himself is of surpassing excellence. The Lord Jesus Christ is so inconceivably glorious that I tremble at any attempt to describe his glory. Uh, surely He's very God, a very God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, and yet agreed to take upon Himself a human form. He was born an infant, into our weakness. He lived as a carpenter to share our toil. He took upon Himself the form of a servant, and yet in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, bodily. I wish somebody else was in here with me. He was the prince of the kings of the earth and yet took a towel and watched disciples feet. I thought I Spurgeon was finished, but I kept looking and I saw some more. Spurgeon said, the cause of his Godhead, you must not dare harden your hearts. He's God's well-beloved, and if you are wise, he will be yours. Do not turn your back on him whom all the angels worship. Out and hear that I'll put it back. Do not turn your back on him on whom, of whom all the angels worship. Beware lest you reject one whom God loves so well, for God will take it as an insult to himself. He that despises the anointed of God has blasphemed God Himself. This is this version I'm talking about. You put your finger in the very eye of God when you slight his son. In grieving the Christ, you vex the very heart of God. Therefore, I beseech you that by the love which God bears to his son, to listen to his matchless messenger of mercy who will persuade you to repent. Yes. Yes. I got, yes. Amen. I showed you the I showed you the tenant farmers. But I didn't show you them in order for you to mimic them. Mm-hmm. Amen. I want you to see the enormity of your sin. Sure enough. Yes, sir. Right. And instead of rejecting the Son, right now. Give yes, give. Sir. receive Him. Yes, sir. Run to Him. Amen. The only one... <laughs> wow, this is amazing. He is. The only one who can help you yes, sir. and save you Redeem you and change you mm. is the one you rejected. Yes. This is true. Amen. I Yes. I see only one. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. You gotta lose their life. Yes, sir. These guys didn't want to lose their life. Amen. They thought they had it better. <laughs> And so do you. Yeah. I think you have it better. I plead with you today. Yes. Receive the son. Don't reject him. Amen. Repent. Yes. That's a part of faith. That's the other side of the coin of faith. Repent. Turn to Christ. Today you got a penny in your pocket, you got more money in your pocket than you have to know. My, my title is Rejecting the Son. My message to you is receive the Son. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Receive the Song. Yes, sir. Next time I come back. You're going to hear what happens to all who reject the sin. Yes. But are you also going to be blessed by knowing and understanding the Son being the chief cornerstone mm-hmm. in the temple, yeah. Yeah. not made with hands. God bless you. You see me, Tim? Bless the Lord, my brother. Yeah.